that really is the core of, of Chabad philosophy. Uh, the, even Chabad, the, the word Chabad is an acronym for Chachmabina and Zas, meaning the intellectual faculties that the soul has uh, and how that that understanding in Torah or understanding of a certain subject influences the way that we feel about something. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of JTV. So a couple of weeks ago I was watching a Facebook Live panel discussion with uh, a group of a few rabbis, I think it was somewhere in maybe uh, Atlanta I think, and um, one of the panelists was Rabbi Pinchas Taylor and I was really impressed by um, the content of what he had to say and his insights on various uh, Jewish topics, matters of spiritual growth, um, just life wisdom, and reached out to him, we connected, and I'm delighted to say that we're joined by Rabbi Taylor today. Um, rabbi Pinchas Taylor is a, obviously a rabbi, he's a Chabad rabbi in Florida, uh, a broader sort of lecturer and educator, and also a life coach as well. Um, so Rabbi, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. I'm really looking forward to having this discussion. Thanks for having me, Ali. So could you share with us some examples of how um, Hasidic uh, or Chabad teachings, which again, as I say, is something I'm fairly new to, um, you know, influence uh, the ways in which you guide, pe guide people um, in their own uh, just development in life, and also perhaps ways in which you, f you find it can, that it, it can really provide a lot of wisdom in helping enhance people's spiritual experiences. So let's say for people who are already practicing Jews, but they're feeling a little bit like they're just doing everything by rote. Ways in which these Hasidic uh, teachings uh, might help enhance people's level of connection. Sure. So I mean, I mean, we, the way we feel about toward the way we feel towards something is a direct is directly influenced by the way that we think about it, the way we understand it. If I understand something. If I'm looking at something uh, in a certain way, I will feel a direct result of the way that I'm. Uh, thinking about it, the way that I understand it. If I understand it differently or look at it a different way, I might feel differently as well. And that, that really is the core of, of Chabad philosophy. Uh, the, uh, even Chabad, the, the word Chabad is an acronym for Chachmabina and Zas, meaning the intellectual faculties that the soul has uh, and how that that understanding in Torah or understanding of a certain subject influences the way that we feel about something. And so if a person is living their even Torah observant life uh, in, a, in a way that's, that has become a bit routine, uh, Chabad philosophy, or in, in general, mystical texts, some of the Ashkafa Svarim in general, the books that are of, our, of our sages that talk about our belief, our, our faith, that enhance that and enhance our understanding, that is going to affect the way in which our, our passion, our drive are, 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 being, um, are being directed at not only the commandments and prayer that we're doing, but in our daily lives as well. And so Torah tradition and the Hasidic tradition only emphasizes that there are certain key areas that a person can and should focus on when trying to figure out their personalized mission. Every person has their own individual mission, the same way that no two people have the same fingerprints, no two people have the same specific mission that they were brought into the world for. 
You know, we all have the same, as Jews, we all have the same collective mission. Our mission is to make this world into a place that reflects godliness, make this physical place, this physical world, which was created to obscure godliness, make that place reveal godliness through our observance of the Torah and our uh, consciousness in that direction. But each one of us have a specific way in which we implement that. Uh, We have specific talents and specific passions that are given to us as individuals that, that emphasize a certain area in that cosmic puzzle. And so this, that, that mentality that, that this, our, focus should be and that I have an individualized mission and that my understanding of of this mission uh, helps me to fulfill my personal mission is tremendously impactful in in a person's spiritual growth and how does one identify what their what their mission is and what the what the key things they should focus on are so there there in my mind, I think there are about four things, sometimes you could say five, but four, four certainly right off the bat. Number one, what are your, what are your personal talents? Everyone has talents. Uh, and, and talents, we sometimes, we, we get confused and we think about talents in a way that is different than the way that the Torah looks at, at talents. We look at talents as like something you could join a talent show for. So like, like I, like people think, well, I'm not really talented at anything. I can't juggle. I can't sing. I can't. I can't do any of those things. But there are certain things, certain qualities that you have that might even be things that you yourself overlook because you just assume, well, everybody does that, or everyone knows, everyone can do that, and it's not uh, not necessarily the case. So uh, things like having a good sense of humor, or things like being a good listener, which are talents that you have. Uh, either through nature or nurture, however it came about, you have these talents, these abilities. Uh, that is a that is a primary place of focus in the discovery of your of uh, your personal mission. So number one is talents. Number two is your passions. So not only what are you good at, what gets you going, what's your drive, what what like what really what greases your wheel, what is what is the thing that you wake up in the morning because this is your purpose this is your enthusiasm is directed in, this, in, in towards this thing and so with with that when you t- when you factor in your talents and your passions together this will give you a good uh, a good idea of where where to begin your personalized life journey uh, another another uh, bit of consideration other elements is what are your unique life experiences we all have unique life experiences, situations that we were put in, families that we were born into, education situations, uh, friends situations, things that we had to deal with that others didn't have to deal with. Those, those, uh, those skills, those experiences um, made us who we are and can be utilized in the, um, in the direction which we, in which we invest ourselves. So again, this is all part of, uh, of a single package, the, the talents that we have, the passions that we have, uh, coupled with our personal life experiences. And also the fourth element is where you find yourself right now. The, for w- one reason or another, one way or another, you are where you are now through a whole series of events. And you have uh, people in your life, you have you know, family, friends, a whole situation that you are that you find yourself right now. Oh, what I like to call a circle of influence. 
And so based on wherever you're at, your circle of influence, utilize that place in your life also to catapult yourself into where um, you would like to be, where, where, you, where, your pa- where your talents and passions and, life and prior life experiences drive you. Begin with your own circle of influence, influencing them. And this, can, this builds uh, upon uh, further accomplishment and further building of your own self and, and life mission as well. Wow, I think that's a great combination. And I suppose earlier what I was really trying to ask, and I'm really seeking wisdom in this uh, space, what, uh, what do you find are helpful ways in which, I mean, this, is, this was what you were saying there, it was very much about identifying your path and your life mission. But what about trying to feel more spiritually connected as you go about day-to-day Jewish practices? Are, you, are there any ways in which you feel you've, you've found ways in which you can really enha- enhance that? From a very practical standpoint, using, um, and I know the word might be cliche nowadays because everyone's talking about it, but it, it is very much a Hasidic concept, the concept of mindfulness. The more we're aware and, and taking into consideration in a real, in a real tangible way what it is that we're doing, the more we're going to enhance our experience of doing that. Um it's very easy with the distracting world that we live in to be distracted and have our mind in 10 other places when we're involved in a, in a certain situation. And so the more that we take a step back and allow ourselves to actually experience the situation that we're in, as opposed to being on the phone or thinking about uh, the other items that are on our to-do lists for today and just get into the moment, the more we're going to appreciate and experience that moment. And the, the more beautiful that moment becomes. And, and I, I'll, tell, I'll tell you something that, that it, from my own, my own personal life, that it was a small thing, but it made a huge difference in my own appreciation of, uh, of my situation. And that is when I come home, and I don't see that, I don't say this as, a, you know, I'm not telling anybody what they should do, but I'm saying something that worked for me and that's something that has enhanced a small element of my life. When I come home, my phone goes right to the charger. We have, we have thank God, six kids at home. I never look at my phone or I, I do as little as possible. It, it goes on the charger. It, it's not in my pocket. It's not in my hands. And that itself allows me to be fully with my kids uh, you know, it's six. So, it, you know, thank God it's, it's a, it's a, it's a busy house and it, it does, it does get chaotic sometimes, but it does allow me the opportunity to be focused in on the moment and appreciate seeing them and watching them grow up and, and, and where they're at, what happened in their day. And that same tool, that same trick uh, can, can be used really in every situation. Prayer is the same way. I did the same thing with with davening in the, in the morning, I, I would purposely not charge my phone at night. So I'd be forced to charge it in the morning during davening and put the phone over there. So it's charging over there. can't look at it. Can't be tempted to, you know, if there's a buzz, not, not to look at the, not to look at the text, not to look at the email, just it's over there. It's for, it's for later. And so that itself, getting rid of some of the external distractions, allows the person at least, at least it creates an environment where we're more 
likely to to engage in what it is that we're that it, what it is that we're doing. But how can we appreciate prayer, or how can we appreciate a mitzvah, or how can we appreciate any Jewish experience if we're if our mind is somewhere else? Yeah. And so the first step is is getting weeding out the distractions and allowing yourself the opportunity to to engage in what you're doing. And the second step is, I, I think, to to learn more about what it is that you're doing. The more understanding that we have about what's being accomplished, for example, if I'm shaking lulav and esrog on Sukkot, what what does that mean, spiritually speaking? And the Hasidic texts are are full, are packed with insight as to what's taking place. And so even if you're not you know, living in the living in the spiritual world and you're not the most uh, Kabbalistic person in, 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 on planet Earth, at least the actions that you're doing, you'll have a better recognition that it's it's significant, not just getting through the motions to finish davening so you can go to work. It allows the opportunity to take, to treasure what it is that's going on and let it allow it to mean something in your own life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And is it is it enough to know that this is just something that's meaningful to God and it's what God's asked of you and that is is that enough to to go on? I mean, it's enough to get the mitzvah, but uh, it, it it would be it, it's it's difficult sometimes for us on our end. Listen, yeah. if we could, if we could live inspired and passionate in what we're doing and, and the Torah and mitzvahs that we're studying and performing by by just having that, listen, oh, that's great, wonderful. Practically speaking, it doesn't always work like that. And we need the, the, the greater the understanding that we have of something and the greater that we invest ourselves in getting a, a background and understanding of what it is that we're doing and take the opportunity to have at least brief mindfulness of that. It really does enhance the, the connection, enhances the performance uh, and the enjoyment that, that, that comes out from this. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? It's that sometimes we complain about and we feel like we're not getting enough from certain from Jewish practice, and yet we're not also willing to invest the time to actually slow down and understand and try, you know, it's a bit of a bit of a catch-22 situation. Right, yeah. it's like, stop blaming Judaism. It's not Judaism's fault. You gotta, you gotta put some effort in, man. Right, right. Not you, we all do. I'm saying we all. <laughs> no, no, me. Um, <laughs> um, so, so Rabbi, I've been I've been doing some googling and searching and w- uh, watching some of your content online, and um, to my surprise, I, I haven't seen many rabbis talk about this. I saw that you um, speak about Islam and about some of the similarities and differences. I'd love for you to sort of share with us. I mean, I know obviously there's a big similarity in that they're both Abrahamic, Ab- Abrahamic monotheistic religions. They both believe in you know a one God, one power uh, that's uh, sort of the source of, of, of the universe, source of creation. But um, w- beyond that, could you, could you help uh, sh- share with our viewers so, some of the um, similarities, but more uh, curiously, some of the theological, I mean, I know obviously in practice, the actual practicalities are very different, but are there any sort of significant theological differences uh, between uh, Judaism and Islam? Theological differences or yeah. theological... Well, I mean, the, the concept of God in, in Islam is very similar to our belief in God as far as there being no uh, physical representation. Uh, not they're in, their, in their mosques, they would never have any sort of thing, uh, any spiritual, uh, any, anything uh, that, that even remotely reflects about God's uh, 
um, what he would look like or, or anything, any, any sort of physical uh, conjecture. Uh, so that, that itself is very, very similar to, to Judaism. Uh, obviously, uh, there's major theological differences in the sense that as far as purpose of the world and uh, the trajectory of the world, Islam does not believe, maybe they believe that God gave the Torah to the Jews, but they say also that the Jews distorted it and that really they're the ones that uh, ultimately uh, are in God's favor and that the only way to achieve what life is all about is through is, is through is through the means of the of the Quran that the Torah is is essentially uh, annulled and they are the new path, which obviously is a, a huge theological contradiction to Judaism. The concept of God, they're they're definitely on the right track, um, but as far as the purpose of the world and uh, and the trajectory of God's message and implementing that to the world are are certainly quite at odds with. With our faith, I, I meant. The, I think the video that you're talking about is. I, so I gave a presentation. Must have been about ten years ago now to uh, to a group sharing the the ins and outs, uh, the differences. Uh, if, if your viewers, if, if your viewers are are interested in kind of getting like a more in depth look, I, I'd suggest they just go on they go on YouTube and I uh, can search my name and you know uh, and. Uh, Islam and, and go into, and go into uh, in greater detail. Well, one of the reasons I think it's important to have at least a a, a general understanding of other faiths is because we have a, we all have a mission. Part of the Jewish community's uh, part of our fulfillment and part of our command is to be a light unto the nations. And that that is an extraordinarily important part of of what it of what this world needs, and it's something that unfortunately a lot of times gets overlooked. Historically, we understand why it got overlooked because if you're a group of people that's constantly being oppressed and doesn't have a voice in anything, there's not really much you can teach people about. You don't have the opportunity. But now that we have the opportunity to teach people. And to show them the light of the Torah, to be a light into the nations, we have to have at least a generalized understanding of what they believe. And so we can, in, in a practical way, lead them to uh, what the Torah says that that they're meant to be believing and, and doing, the seven laws of Noah. And so a, a lot of the, a lot, especially the monotheistic faiths are like, they're on the right track. And so having a, a generalized understanding of that and kind of being able to direct them and where they're getting it right and where there might be some uh, where they might be going off the track a little bit. I, I think it's helpful to have uh, at least a generalized understanding of of that for that for the greater purpose of being in, able to uh, influence them in the ways of the Torah. Wouldn't the seven laws of Noah, which the Torah says apply to all man all mankind, um, they would probably fit within within uh, Islamic law at, at present, would they not? Yeah, I mean, theologically, yes. Practically, uh, you know, in the in the Islamic world, there are certainly uh, certain segments that uh, are, are are might be struggling in other areas of you know, in in their in their relationship with uh, the Jewish people. But um, as far as the theology of of Islam, they're certainly on the right track of the belief in God and and things like that. Yeah, fascinating. And what would you say when it comes to Christianity? Um, would you say that Christianity, I mean, obviously they have the, the Old Testament, 
as part of their book, whereas uh, in Islam they don't, although many of the stories within uh, the Torah feature in the Quran. Um, but would you say that Islam or Christianity shares more uh, theological similarities with, with Judaism? So, I mean, the, the concept of God in Islam is, is closer to Judaism's uh, Christianity. I mean, there, there are quite a number of denominations that believe subtly different things, but ultimately Christianity accepts, or the, the vast majority of the denominations accept like, a concept of a trinity, that there's that God is sort of this triune figure, which which certainly is not something that is in sync with with Jewish uh, a Jewish view of God. So as far as the theological view of God, Islam seems more similar. As far as the uh, sort of purpose of the world and uh, and other and other features, the belief that the Torah was given to the Jewish people and a, a good number of a, a good amount of the denominations of Christianity today believe that that covenant is still uh, alive and well, and that that's, that's still valid. Uh, not that we need their validation, but it's nice that they, that they believe that. Uh, that, that as far as what the, what the path and the, and the purpose and the, tr and the trajectory of history is leading up to Mashiach, uh, the, the concept of free will, uh, and, and many um, direct Torah concepts that have been brought to the world, uh, Christianity plays more of a uh, a solid role and connection with the Jewish faith. So again, theologically, Islam is closer as far as belief in God, but as far as the the sharing of the quote unquote Old Testament uh, and the the Hebrew Scriptures and being able to and and the the path in which the world is being guided, uh, we share more of a similarity, I believe, with Christianity. Overall, I have a very positive view uh, of. Christianity and its role in the world. Uh, the Rambam says very clearly that one of the silver linings that Christianity has brought to the world is that concepts of Torah have been brought even to the 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 farthest islands in the middle of the ocean, right? Through through different works and, and missionary activities throughout the centuries. The silver lining is that Torah concepts with uh, have, uh, essentially, the, the concept of free will, the concept of reward and punishment, the concept of Mashiach, uh, at least in, in some version, even the, the idea of the resurrection of the dead, all, very, very Torah-themed ideas have been brought to people who otherwise uh, would have been pure, pure pagans. And, and it's certainly a step uh, in the right direction, moving the world to where it needs to go ultimately. And so, for a non-Jew, I'm very, I'm very uh, happy when Christians uh, are observing of their faith. It doesn't mean that there's not what to talk about, like nothing that can be improved. But uh, it's it certainly on a, on a world view, it's certainly a great step forward from where the world and civilization was before they were around. I think he, yeah, and I think the, the Rambam also says the same about Islam. And I, uh, I do think it's amazing that, you know, the Jewish people who were basically just a minority within a minority, uh, you know, 3,000 years ago, the majority of the world was pagan. And then, and then, you know, Abraham was known as the Hebrew because it meant he, he was separate from everyone else in his worldview. And now the majority of the world believes in the God of Abraham. It, it, it is amazing. It is startling. Um, and yeah, and, and Islam and Christianity have played a pivotal role 
in bringing many things that we consider to be uh, fundamental truths about the world and about God to, to the masses. So, so I, I agree with you. Um, one other way in which Torah values have been uh, exported uh, to parts of the world um, and that I know you're quite um, passionate about is America. Um, this is something we actually did a JTV video on this a few years ago and I studied this at college actually. The ways in which the Bible played such a fundamental role in influencing the founders of America and their concept of the kind of country they wanted to, wanted to build having fled from the tyranny of uh, European uh, monarchies and structures and, you know, religious uh, uh, authoritarianism and all that kind of stuff. They sort of saw themselves as this, as this doing this Exodus 2.0. Um, and I wondered if you could just share with our viewers uh, a little bit about uh, your feelings of, um, you know, the Torah's influence on uh, America and American values, because I think it, America is in some ways, one of uh, the Torah's greatest creations. Oh, 100 percent. And, and, and it's, it's so much more juicy for me to hear that from someone from Britain. Uh, say, <laughs> say, give, give. It shows I'm being objective. What? It shows I'm being objective. It, that's right. Although a lot of the Enlightenment thinkers, which influenced the founders, came from the UK, and you know, and they and they were influenced by Christianity and uh, you know similar similar values. But yes, I mean the the concept of how America began the the founding, what led up to the founding, what led up to the War of Independence, uh, the American Revolution, the the drafting of the Declaration of Independence, and how that led to the creation of the Constitution is is just so fascinating and and quite miraculous. And when you look at the writings of uh, the founding fathers and how dedicated they were uh, in believing that what they were doing was sort of the will of God and implementing a place where people could worship God freely, uh, a place where uh, they saw the divine hand and everything that they were doing. This is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, the, the fact that soon after the Declaration of Independence was drafted, that immediately when the when the seal of the United States was being uh, created, and they 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 gave that task to some of the early founding fathers, two of them came up with biblical images that represented what our country was about: the splitting of the Red Sea, right, or or the God leading the the Israelites through the desert. This this concept, which really sums up the the dedication that they had towards towards God and towards implementing what, in their minds, was a biblical uh, a, a nation that is tied heavily to the Bible and belief in God. Obviously, it's uh, it's going to be uh, different. Uh, different outcomes and and whatnot, be, being that there's no oral tradition uh, or they don't have the Torah's oral tradition in, in Christianity. But nonetheless, the, the principle that we are a, a nation that is sort of uh, reliving uh, uh, the divine hand, taking us out of an oppressive government, an oppressive situation, and bringing us to a place of freedom where we can serve God freely, is it, such a beautiful idea and I, I believe one of the keys of America's uh, success in the last 
two plus centuries is the fact that we're so rooted in the Bible and so and that God plays such an important role in our lives that in God we trust can literally be found on the money. Uh, I know that's a fairly recent thing, but the concept of in God we trust all the way goes back uh, right to the founding. And it was even it was even even one of the verses that we don't sing in the national anthem. Uh, that was written by Francis Scott Key, what mentions the words, in God we trust. So it's it's clearly a a center, uh, a, a center, uh, it, it, clearly it is the nucleus of what America is about. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that what's so fascinating is how you know, one of the charges that sometimes people make against the Jews is that they're very particularist towards their people and the concept of chosen people and whatever. But as someone uh, so beautifully put it to me, it's, the Torah is particularist in its methods, but it's universalist in its ambitions and in its aims. And it's amazing how you had these founders of America who saw within the Exodus story and within the biblical narrative universal principles they applied to creating creating um, a nation um, and so I think that the Torah has a remarkable um, paradigm for having a balance between particularism and universalism which the founders of America also really created in saying that we're going to create a nation with a unique identity but also one that will be open to diversity of uh, but 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 at the same time, requiring you, if you're going to be a member of our nation, you bind to certain basic principles and in, in terms of how this nation is going to be uh, shaped and the values that that, that form this nation. Um, so one other area of historical and political um, significance which you uh, shed spiritual light on is anti-Semitism. And I saw recently that you were promoting this course that you're doing on anti-Semitism. Do you want to give our viewers a bit of a brief overview on what you describe as some of the spiritual roots of anti-Semitism? Yeah, I mean, the oh man. I mean, anti-Semitism has expressed itself in, in so many ways throughout the centuries. And no matter what the Jews were doing, the those who didn't like them found a reason not to like them. So in one country, the Jews were the capitalists, and so we hate them because they're capitalists. In another country, they were the communists, so we hate them because they're communists. Uh, in, in one time, we uh, we don't like them because they, they don't blend in enough. The other is because they, don't, they blend in too much. There's always a reason to hate the Jews. And so it, it's interesting because it's not like other forms of hatred, other forms of prejudice that you might see uh, towards other groups. Usually, if if the direction or if the or if the, the quoted reason for the uh, for the discrimination is is eliminated, the hatred stops. Right? We don't like you because you're like this. Well, if that stops, then we'll start liking you, right? <laughs> the Jews, it hasn't it hasn't really worked like that. We we think that if we're just going to be more like them and we're going to blend in, they're just they're going to like us, right? There's no reason for them not to like us. We're exactly like them. And and one of the clearest manifestations that you see that is in our most recent history uh, in in um, in Germany, where Germany was the most cultured society of the time. One of one of the 
one of the this where this is not a backwards country this was not a third world nation this was a highly technologically advanced highly uh, highly civilized high society over here and the Jews who were living there in in many ways were very much a part of German culture if you saw on the street two guys standing next to each other one could be full-on German one could be of Jewish of of Jewish roots, but as far as the way they talked, the way that they looked, the way that everything about them was the same on the on the surface. I believe they actually occupied ten percent of the professions in Germany. And 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 still, they were the they they were still hated. They were still people just knew for whatever reason. They didn't even know why. They just hated the Jew. There's an interesting uh, spiritual concept. So the Talmud mentions something interesting. It says that the when the Jews got the Torah at Mount Sinai, the reason it was called Sinai is because it comes from the same root word as the word Sina, of hatred. And through the Sinai experience, through God sort of uh, engaging with one nation in a unique way, that that embedded a certain idea of, of hatred. Uh, among the nations. That, again, this doesn't mean that every person who's not of the Jewish faith hates the Jews actively and is going to is going to do something bad to them. But uh, collectively, there's a reason why throughout the centuries, large swaths of the population, no matter where we go, find reason to dissociate themselves from the, from the Jews. And there's almost an embedded spiritual uh, distinction created at Sinai. In other words, that that there should always be this sort of separation between the Jewish people and the nations of the world. Doesn't mean we shouldn't be friendly. Doesn't mean we shouldn't work together for a common cause. But it means that there is an inherent difference between the Jewish mission, the mission that the Jews are on, and the way in which we go about it, and the nation and the nations of the world. And in order to preserve that distinction, anti-Semitism is is embedded and when when need be it swells up to maintain that sep that separation this is sort of like a, a more of a, of a spiritual underlying uh premise but this is why and how it manifests itself in so many different ways in, in so many different uh times as well so what's the solution to it <laughs> that's uh that people have to join the course Oh, you can't tease us like that. <laughs> I, I, I think until I think until Mashiach comes, the we, we're going to continue on this path. People are going to find reasons to to hate us. But the more proud we are, is the, the way certainly the way not to beat it. Uh, excuse me. Cer certainly the way that is not going to work is just by cowering and saying, okay, we're going to be more like you or whatever you want us to be. The, the, the main objective, and the, you see time and again, on a personal scale, on a practical scale, the more a Jewish person goes with pride and goes with passion in what it is that they're doing that is Jewish, but not, not in a confrontational way, but, but stands their ground and does, does what they need to do, we, we see that the nations of the world respect them. Yeah, and we I see it both on a personal level, right, on, on an individual level, like uh, just friends and associates of yours that are not Jewish, and also on a collective. Like if, if we stand strong and passionate and go in the in the ways of the Torah, 
everybody else will find respect in that. Yeah, and I think not just pa- passion, but also openness and share, willing to share with others, and and just be just be just be comfortable in our skin as practicing Jews. And I think part of um, you know what I've heard other people talk about is that you know we've been a bit of a mystery to the nations because we've had walls up, rightly so. Oftentimes those been those walls have been put up against our own choosing. Um, but now we live in an age in which there is much more mobility for for openness and. Um, a way to conquer anti-Semitism or Jews being a mystery is to give people reasons to love Judaism, people to love what, what, we, what we are here to represent. Um, the last thing I wanted to touch on with you is to share, uh, you know, with, to share with you my own thinking uh, and reflections recently that um, I kind of marvel at Chabad because... There, there's a bit of a debate that a lot of people, especially my age, people coming out of, let's say, yeshiva or university, thinking about how they're going to lead their lives. And on the one hand, we feel a strong um, sense of, as we just said now, wanting to you know, go out into the wider world and be open-minded and live an, you know, an open lives whilst also being uh, strong, uh, proud, connected Jews. Um, but we hear a debate inevitably that well you've got to be careful you you leave the shtetl too much and you know you, then you're going to lose yourself and then um but on the other hand there's the argument that you know if you live in a very narrow communities and very religious closed off you end up leading a very narrow existence which in some cases might not even might not even be uh, necessary or called for today and rather it's just a product of the exile persecuted jew which you know, does, perhaps doesn't need to apply as much today, and perhaps now we have the opportunity to go out. So there's this debate between, on the one hand, you'll say, your Judaism safer if you'll have more walls up, but then you're not gonna, then it's, you know, it impacts quality of life, quality of Im- ability to influence others, to be open to the world. On the other hand, you know, but then if you're too open, you'll, you'll lose your Judaism. It's sort of sometimes manifests in sort of the modern Orthodox versus kind of more Haredi, uh, lifestyle. But then I look at Chabad and I'm like, well, you guys will go off to Hawaii or, or Peru or wherever it is and you won't have any community and yet you're not only are you strong in your Judaism but you end up influencing those around you. So my question is, what is the um, Chabad secret? Someone said to me, well, it could be because they're part of a worldwide network. But okay, but you're still going out there and as sort of lone soldiers and some, something's working. So what are the, why, why does Chabad work? I can only give you my own uh, perspective. Uh, I'm sure there's many ways to answer this question. Um, the Rebbe's vision is, is something very special. And I, I think part of it can be summed up in this uh, short story. There was a story of, uh, of a man who went into uh, a bakery, and he saw this old man as in, in the bakery. It was the one who was serving all of the, the breads and the donuts and everything. And he, he noticed that when he was reaching to uh, get one of the bagels, that his sleeve slid down and he had ar- uh, numbers tattooed on his arm. So the, the gentleman who was the gentleman who was who was waiting to, to be served, as I noticed that you're uh, a survivor 
Would you mind sharing with me what was it that kept you going during those uh, terrible times? And he says that when when he was a young man, very young man, he was a little boy at the time, uh, he remembers when the Nazis, Yemach Shemam, would, would uh, they, they loaded everybody into cattle cars and they were on their way to one of the camps and they were packed in so they could they could barely they could barely breathe and the nazis just to cause extra pain on the people they left the the, the windows were left open and this was midwinter in germany and it was snowing it was it was terribly terribly cold and he remembers as a young boy being finding himself near an old man and the old man was so cold and his his skin he was so thin he had no he had no skin really to, to guard himself from from the truth from the intense cold and he asked this young man he asked this boy uh please can you rub my arms and warm me and so the boy started like rubbing the man's arms and warming him up and after a few minutes he was a little tired and he stopped and so the, the man was was very, very cold. And he said, no, please, please continue. Please warm me. And so the, the young man, he continued. He did it for a few more minutes. And and uh, he stopped. And the, 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 the old man looked at him. He says, I, 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 really, I need you. I need you. Please, please warm me. Please warm me. And so the young man kept rubbing him and warming him and warming him and and he, and he they both were were doing this in, until they both fell asleep it, they were it, they were so overworked that they just they had been they, he had been rubbing him rubbing him warming him and warming him all this time and until they collapsed they fell asleep and when they woke up they rec- they realized they looked around and everyone else in their immediate area had passed away it, just through the journey, just through the cold. And this young man was the man in the bakery. It was the baker. And he said that it was at that moment that I realized that if I want to save my own life, it comes about through warming others. He, the, guy, the, the young man recognized that the only reason that he had stayed alive and warm was because he was warming this other guy. Well, he was warming this old man. And so that, on a spiritual scale, is very much what keeps a lot of the Chabad Shluchim very uh, passionate and very invigorated about their Judaism, even despite not living in the most Jewish of areas, where you mentioned Hawaii or out in the middle of nowhere, where there's no Jewish resources sometimes, where there's no kosher food sometimes, and yet their Judaism strives. Why? They stay warm, they stay passionate, they stay connected, because they're doing that for others as well. If you want to stay passionate, you want to stay warmed in your own life, your own spiritual life, help warm others as well. No matter where you go, if you're if your mentality is that not only I'm going to be happy putting tefillin on myself, but I'm going to put on tefillin as many people as I encounter today. Every person I meet at my job, every person I encounter in the stores that I go into, I'm going to put tefillin on people. I'm going to give Shabbat candles out to people. I'm going to make sure that I'm 
charging, uh, that I'm bringing warmth, the warmth of Torah to the world around me, I myself will stay warm as well. And so the Rebbe had this magical vision. Uh, I think it's I think it's appropriate to call it magical because it was so so counterintuitive to, especially when the, when the Rebbe initially was sending out shluchim. It was so counterintuitive to what the rest of the Jewish world was 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 doing and what they were what what they said was the appropriate path that go out make bring the warmth of Torah to others and you too will stay warm and I, I for me that's that's the secret that is that is ultimately what it boils down to you go out with the perspective the, the, Rebbe, the Rebbe's teachings inspire us every day the Rebbe's teachings encourage us not to uh, just care about our own spiritual life and or the spiritual lives of our family, but to make sure that our entire circle of influence, our entire community, is is pulsating with the with the warmth of Tara. That that is what that is what keeps us going and what what allows us to stay warm as well. I, I think it comes down to one word, which is service, and it's serving. You know, it's serving others and serving God. And it's so, just as you said, with that amazing story, which we actually did a video about on JTV with Rabbi Mark, oh. Mark Wilds a few weeks ago. Um, and the, you know, the irony is that when you're actually focused on others, you end up being happier. <laughs> um, anyway, Rabbi, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for, to, for speaking to us um, from across the pond uh, in America. And um, yeah, just to really appreciate your time. And I, I hope we can have you on again to talk about some other topics. Please uh, feel free to check out Rabbi Pinchas Taylor on YouTube. He also has a website. He has uh, a life coaching program. He offers other seminars and, um, you know, has talks on a variety of topics. So feel free to check him out. And as I say, Rabbi, thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much for having me. I look forward to uh, doing some stuff in the future as well. Mm-hmm.